0: Good afternoon, everyone. Nice to be here with you. Nice to have uh, the cooler weather. It's starting to feel like fall feast season. Uh, hope you're all enjoying it. Looks like a good-sized crew here with us today. And welcome to those who are on the webcast with us as well. When I was a child, I had the good fortune of growing up within the church and keeping these feast days uh, from my youth. I remember my mother helping my sister and I make scrapbooks of our Feast of Tabernacles memories each year. Of course, this was in the days when uh, all the pictures you took on your camera had to be developed at uh, the drugstore or uh, somewhere like that, and then you got to flip through them and see which shots turned out and what you wanted to keep. One year in particular comes to my mind. I was six years old would turn seven just a month or two later after the feast. And for many years, most years of uh, my young life, we went to the same feast site every year, as probably most did at that time. And for us, I was born in Southern Ohio, so Dayton was the feast site year after year after year. But when I was six years old, we transferred. We went somewhere different. And that was an opportunity for us to go to Pasadena, California, for the feast. And that was a big deal growing up in the worldwide Church of God. It was incredible to see uh, the campus there and the administration buildings for Ambassador College, to see the auditorium where services were held every day for the feast. And I even had a chance encounter to meet Mr. Armstrong and shake his hand as I was departing during the final song of services to go to the bathroom, but my dance of a jig stopped long enough to respectfully say hi to Mr. Armstrong who was just outside the doors uh, of uh, services that day I was happy to meet a man I'd only seen on television up to that point. So we made a scrapbook of this feast uh, just as we did of every feast of my youth. Of course no ordinary scrapbook would do for a feast this epic. I still remember this particular book had a nice burgundy cover to it, It was genuine fake leather, leather vinyl of some kind with some nice golden scroll work on the front and thick parchment style pages inside that we glued everything to. And there we placed pictures from every day, the places that we stayed, the activities we did, the people we met, some of the great food we ate, perhaps a few special Feast Presents, were referenced as well. I wonder if my mother actually still has that album somewhere, perhaps uh, in with a bunch of other family photo albums from years ago. Now, every year we made these scrapbooks, even when we were going to Dayton year after year after year, or other places, we made them uh, all the same. And on the last page of the book, you know how I read children's books to my children? On the last page of the book is often the same closing sentence. They lived happily ever after. The same closing sentence for us every year in our feast scrapbooks was, it was the best feast ever. That was how every scrapbook ended. Of course, as I've gotten older, my perspective on what makes up a great feast has matured somewhat. But I still often find myself with that same feeling year after year. With the Feast of Tabernacles coming just a week from tomorrow night, I thought it would be timely to share a few things I've learned over the years about having the best feast ever. We, uh, every year, of course, we have Passover preparation messages, and rightly so. Some years we have feast preparation messages. This is one of those years, and this is one of those messages today. The title of my message is, Tips for Having the Best Feast Ever. Tips for Having the Best Feast Ever. Now, when I was a child, I must admit that I was much more excited by the travel, the activities, and the gifts I loved Legos as a child. I'm glad to see that uh, my sons are picking up on uh, their father's interest in, in those. However, now as an adult, I've learned that the most important element to having a great feast is to put your focus on God first. My first point today is put God first in your feast. Put God first in your feast. Let's start by turning over to Leviticus chapter 23. Very familiar chapter for us in recording God's feast days for us. And the last section of this chapter, of course, covers the Feast of Tabernacles and references the eighth day as well. We'll look at verses 41 through 43 as we start today. Leviticus 23, starting in verse 41 says, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year, and it shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The beginning of this section, describing the Feast of Tabernacles, starts in verse 33, and it says, "'The Lord spoke to Moses, saying.'" So this is a direct quote, uh, this section. And here at the end of verse 43, he closes with, "'I am the Lord your God,' emphasizing this is his feast, and that we see here we are to keep it throughout our generations. One aspect of putting God first at his feast means putting priority on continuing our prayer and study, Bible study during the feast. It can be easy for our normal habits to be disrupted during our travel, our activities, and of course we're staying in a temporary dwelling, a different environment than we're accustomed to at home. In focusing specifically on prayer for a moment, I want to highlight our prayer as part of our preparation for services each day at the feast. Of course, we should pray for God's help in all aspects of our feast, and our day, activities and everything, but thinking about the service itself for a moment, we should pray for God, of course, to inspire and guide the speaker but we should also pray for God to bless our hearing and understanding of the message he wants us to, to receive. Now, at the feast, we get a wide variety of speakers. We have services every day. We have a lot of messages that we hear. And as we hear these different speakers, sometimes we hear speakers that we really click with. And we think, oh, wow, that really really hit me right between the eyes. Sometimes there's others that we don't connect with or resonate with as well. We all have different personalities, different personal tastes, and that means some of us connect more easily with some speakers than with other speakers. But I've learned that when I pray for the speaker and for God to help me learn and take what I need to hear from the message, I often come away thinking, wow, that was one of the best messages I've ever heard. Even from speakers I know historically, I may not connect with their style as easily as I do with others. It's humbling to realize how much you get out of the message usually depends more on what's going on in here and in here than on the speaker. Have you noticed that? Now, this preparation for services is wasted, of course, if we choose not to go. Mark Wynott wrote an article in the most recent edition of One Accord entitled, What About Hope?, which included some important principles regarding keeping the feast. He reminded the readers that when we're away from home, it can be easy to forget the purpose of the feast, and we can drift into thinking that we're on vacation. or We can allow the charms of the location to distract us from why we're at the feast in the first place. I wanna share a quote with you from this article from Mr. Why Not. He says, we can skip services to partake in an activity that we would never get to do at home. We can skip services because we're tired and just don't feel like getting dressed up and going out the door. We can skip services because the kids are cranky or need to do their homework. We can skip services because the gentle breezes and the warm sand are calling. We can skip services and just watch online so that we can take part in an afternoon activity sooner than if we were at services. There are as many reasons for skipping services as there are people who come to the feast. End quote. I found it interesting pondering that. I'm sure every single one of us have felt some of those things, or the many other things he referenced in his concluding statement. There's one for everyone. Have you ever considered this concept he just described in combination with Paul's analogy of the church being a body? Let's turn over for a moment to 1 Corinthians 12. Well this chapter of course covers this analogy of the church as a body in great detail. I'll pull out verse 18 in particular for our consideration, which talks about God's role in placing us within that body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. Paul writing here, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. we often read this section of scripture, refer to these verses, and we think about this verse in light of the spiritual gifts that God has given to each member and how we fit within the local congregations that God has placed us in and appropriately so. However, given the topic of today's message, I think we should acknowledge that this verse would equally apply to keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. God has placed each person, each collection of spiritual gifts that he has granted. And he's placed us at each feast site, not by accident, but on purpose, just as he pleased. You are going to the feast site for a reason, for a purpose. And we're called to be part of a team, a body, not just here in our local congregation, but when we go to keep the Feast of Tabernacles as well. And if certain parts of the body just stay in their room or off by themselves, the body cannot operate as it should or at its peak performance. Mr. Wynott concluded his article with another point, showing that in attending services, it's not just about listening to the messages. One more scripture I'd like to reference in 1 John chapter one, if you'd like to turn there, 1 John chapter one, and we'll look at verse three together. 1 John chapter 1, looking at verse 3, breaking into the thought here, it says, "...that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, or share with you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ." Obviously, at the time this was written, Jesus Christ had already lived, been crucified, died was resurrected. He wasn't there in the room physically. He was there in the room, gathered with them spiritually. When we're at services, we're also there, of course, to fellowship with our fellow brethren. And this verse shows us by doing so, we're also fellowshipping with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Would we, if we imagine them here with us physically, like any other member in this room here today or others at the Feast of Tabernacles, would we really skip that opportunity to skip services that day for any reason? I doubt we would. We would want to be there. They are here. And they are there at the feast as well. And we also need to be there. Now, as I reinforce the priority Of our attendance, I do also want to highlight that this means we must take care of ourselves physically during the feast. Getting proper sleep, watching our diets and activities so we don't overdo it, and are thereby limit our participation in some of these most important parts of the feast. I know as a young adult there were several feasts where I ran short on sleep. It was so exciting to be together with other young adults and have time to speak and late into the night. But what there was a consequence for those choices earlier in the feast. That meant by the end of the feast, I was often starting to feel sick. Perhaps you've had that experience yourself as well. I certainly didn't get as much out of those latter days of the feast spiritually, as I could have, if I'd been more mindful of that. Now, of course, if you do get sick with something communicable, please do not come to services and share that with your fellow brethren. We need to be respectful of that. And of course, you can connect remotely. And of course, we also know we have some who are unable to travel to the feast for health reasons or other purposes but hopefully that applies to very few of us and very few of our brethren this year at the feast. As we wrap up this first point, putting God first, we can remind ourselves, of course, that putting God first is the first and great commandment and a key to success in life and in all things. And no surprise, putting him first in how we keep the feast yields the most successful feast. The second point I have for you today is look for opportunities to serve others. Look for opportunities to serve others. This second aspect reminds us to think beyond just ourselves. We know God's way is the way of give, not the way of get. You may not realize it, but there is an immense amount of work that goes into running a smooth feast site, all of which is provided by volunteers coming together, just like you just like me. Besides those who speak at services, there are people serving in facilities, audio-visual coordination, ushering, special music, the business office, The mother's room, the information table, counting the offerings, coordinating group activities, youth lessons, transportation, teen and young adults events, and providing anointing and counseling services, to name a few. Some sites there may be even more things than I could think of off the top of my head there. But the festival coordinators assign department heads to coordinate each of these functions at the feast. They almost always need additional help in some areas you may have already been contacted asking for volunteers at the fee site you're attending. But if you haven't yet I'd suggest keep your ears open in those first few services at the feast. There are often announcements requesting additional volunteers or you can inquire at the information table at the feast if you'd like more information. And this can also be a great way to meet new people at the feast, especially if you're someone who finds it challenging to go up to someone you don't know and introduce yourself or say hi. That can be intimidating. But serving with others in nearly any area is a great icebreaker and a way to grow a relationship with someone new. One other way to serve that you may not even recognize is being a friendly and active participant in the group activities planned at the feast. While our local church here seems very normal to us, I would remind you that Dallas is one of the largest congregations in Cagua, anywhere in the world. That means nearly every other person you meet at the feast who isn't also coming from this local congregation is coming from a smaller congregation and in many cases much smaller than what we're accustomed to week after week. Some of you may have attended smaller churches before moving into this area. We have many who are transplants or have moved here. I did initially when I was 18 years old, moved from a smaller area to be in Dallas with other young people. There were times for my wife and I, while we were living in the UK, that the normal church group we met with every week was counted in the single digits. Less than 10 people. Week after week after week. Everybody wore a different hat every week to make the church service work and run. And of course, there are those who live in certain parts of the world where there is no local congregation to meet with. If you've had a similar experience, you know that getting together with other brethren is one of the absolute biggest highlights of the feast for those people. They're often trying to soak up a year's worth of fellowship in just eight days. Just because we are accustomed to an abundance of fellowship and the opportunities that we have as part of this local congregation doesn't mean we can say, well, my fellowship tanks are full. I'll skip all the activities. I'm not really interested in that. Sounds uh, kind of boring. Frankly, it's not all about you or me. Going isn't just about what we get out of the activity. And being friendly at church activities can be a big service to those who get very little opportunity to interact with and fellowship with other brethren the rest of the year. One other way to extend your service in this way is to resolve to have a meal with someone or some family that you don't know or don't know very well. Perhaps you know their name, uh, but not much else about them this year at the feast. Let's turn to 1 Peter 4 and verse 9. There's a little... Reminder here in First Peter. as we consider this topic of sharing a meal with someone new. First Peter chapter four. and verse nine, list of a few different uh, exhortations here. But plucking out this verse, it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This verse, of course, exhorts us to serve one another in this way. to Spend time together, to share food, a meal with each other, being hospitable. And of course, it points out we shouldn't do it in a grumbling way. We often talk at offerings about being a cheerful giver. We should be hospitable in a cheerful and pleasant manner as well, and we shouldn't see it as a burden. Of course, when we're traveling and away from home and keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, we can always meet someone at a restaurant. But if you have the space, it can be even better to host someone in a house or condominium, even if you just bring in takeout food. something else doesn't have to be fancy often the fellowship is much deeper and the atmosphere is much more welcoming and peaceful in a home than could be achieved anywhere else and as a parent of young children and those of you who have young children as well going to the feast with you it can also be a big help for families like ours the children can play and the parents can fellowship in a much more relaxed way when you aren't trying to keep the kids contained and quiet in a public space. As we consider this point, I'd also like to reflect on a few verses that are recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 16. This is also instructions regarding the keeping of the Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy chapter 16, and we'll look at verse 14 and 15 here together. And I find these verses interesting as it describes who all is supposed to be involved in the feast. Specifically. Not just, uh, hey, everybody do it." it. Gives us a little more detail. Deuteronomy 16, starting in verse 14, says, And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates. Verse 15, seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice. Verse 15 here, of course, shows us that we see God will bless us for keeping his feast. Many who've kept the feast for many years would describe keeping the feast as a blessing. What an incredible opportunity. But of course, when we are at the feast, we are not being blessed in our produce or in the work of our hands while we're there. You're probably not doing much work of that kind. This is a blessing the whole rest of the year on the days God has provided for the work of our hands and for us to produce for keeping this feast. But I also think it's worth highlighting this list of people that's been specifically called out in verse 14 here, beyond just our own families, right? Us, our sons, our daughters. Goes on and lists here strangers, fatherless, widows. At every one of our feast sites around the world, you will find, if you look, you'll find people who fit in these categories. And even if they are not physically fatherless or widows, some are, but they may be spiritually fatherless or widows with family members or spouses who are not called at this time. Or it could be someone who's keeping their very first Feast of Tabernacles. Many times at the feast they ask uh, for a show of hands. How many people are keeping you know, this many feasts or that many feasts? And they start rationing up. But often you'll see they ask, who's keeping their first feast? You'll see a few hands nearly every year. Those people may not know anyone there. Think about how that would feel. They may feel like a stranger. Or how lonely that could be for them to keep the feast all by themselves. None of us would want that for them. They're a member of the body. Or being called, perhaps, to that. I recall many times over the years when our family has adopted various people in as part of our feast family. Sometimes windows, sometimes young adults or traveling internationally by themselves to keep the feast and see a different part of the world. They've often joined as part of our crew for all sorts of adventures. And we've stayed in touch with many over the years. So keep your eyes open for people by themselves. Screw up your courage and go and introduce yourself. I have yet, in all my history of keeping the feast, had my head snapped off by going up and saying hi my name is Dave who are you just doesn't happen all the things we could imagine of how awkward and painful saying hi to someone new is at the feast you're saying hi and introducing yourself to the friendliest group of people on the planet literally and they're all there to have a wonderful time in the feast you couldn't pick an easier or a better environment to have and initiate that kind of a conversation. So keep your eyes open for people by themselves. Be willing to make the first move, extend the olive branch and invite them to join your family for a meal or an activity together. And You have a chance to form great friendships with those of like mind that could last for an eternity. Now, my third tip for having a great feast is to rejoice. Now, that might seem like one of the easiest commands uh, in the whole Bible, to rejoice. Let's turn Deuteronomy 14. If your Bible's still at chapter 16, just a few pages over. Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 22 down to 26 here. These are some instructions regarding use of second tithe and keeping of the feast, Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy 14, starting in verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn, of your herds and flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Verse 24, but if the journey is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, When the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. These verses tell us course how we should one keep our second tithe throughout the year faithfully as we're reminded verse 22 but then how we're to use it to rejoice at the feast and this is a great opportunity we have each year if we keep our tithe faithfully to travel to many great locations where god chooses to put his name i haven't consulted with uh, our local uh coordinators and those who help, but uh, knowing this congregation in years past, I bet we have people going to many far-flung locations around the earth where the Lord has chosen to put his name to keep this feast. Many often go internationally from this area as well as to sites all over the United States. We have an opportunity to enjoy amazing food and drink and experiences with friends both old and new and our families. I personally have been blessed to be able to keep the Feast of Tabernacles on every continent except Antarctica. I've yet to see God choose to put his name in Antarctica for a feast. Uh, and I won't hold my breath on that one. Not expecting that to change any time soon. But the other six. And we should all enjoy this foretaste of the kingdom to come. With whatever increase God has blessed us with. I also love how these verses emphasize that the rejoicing is for the whole family as well, you and your household. It's not just what the breadwinner or winners' uh, hearts desire. I know many families share special feast presents with their children during these holy days, but I would also highlight that Doing activities and making memories together means much more than the passing pleasures of any gift. As a family with young children, I can attest that often a a stop at a park with a playground has been equally as exciting to them at any feast site we've gone to as the travel and the many other activities we chose to pay for during the feast. And they love an opportunity to make and play with other church friends at the feast. And of course, we can and should use our second tithe to provide great experiences like that for our children and for ourselves in connecting with the brethren. Now you might think, why didn't I just start with this point to rejoice at the feast? Make it a really simple one-point message today. Well, in my experience, if you just pursue this point to rejoice and forget about putting God first or looking for opportunities to serve others, it can become nothing but a week of pursuing our own pleasures, which is not what God's Feast of Tabernacles is all about. In fact, if you do that, it will yield a pretty empty feast and a pretty empty experience. And we only have to look into the world around us to see people proving daily in their constant pursuit of ever-increasing wealth and possessions, how true that is. One powerful way to bring all three of these points together, putting God first, looking for ways to serve others and to rejoice, and putting them together in practice is to look for ways to be extra generous this year at the Feast of Tabernacles. Look for ways to be extra generous. Could be either with time or with money or with both, depending on what you have been blessed with. Perhaps you invite someone to join you and you cook a meal or pay for a meal for you to enjoy together. Perhaps you invite others to join your family in some activities. Could be free, let's go for a hike together to this nearby lake or waterfall or scenic view. Or it could be some paid for activity as well. One of my personal favorites, look for times when you receive great service at the feast and give people some outrageous tips far more than you would the rest of the year if you have extra tithe in your pocket why not make somebody's day or maybe as you're traveling to the feast or there you stop and get a cup of coffee at starbucks or whatever chain Have you ever paid for the person's coffee behind you feels kind of good It's a fun little uh, thing to do. And you can Google and look up things like random acts of kindness and they'll give you a thousand other ideas besides the ones I just popped out here. One big one, of course, is many at the end of the feast each year have extra second tithe that they didn't end up needing or using. How about giving God an extra big offering on the last great day of the feast? God, we know, is the ultimate giver. And these are some small ways that we can walk in his footsteps, emulate and follow his example. This year, as you're traveling to the feast, think about how you may be able to practice some extra generosity at this year's feast. So this week, of course, As we start packing and preparing to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, let's keep the three points in mind that we've reviewed here today. Let's remember to put God first in our feast, not neglecting our spiritual and physical health during the feast and putting a priority on attending the services and Bible studies as part of the body. Two, let's remember to look for opportunities to serve others. This can be in an assigned role Our function at the feast could be just attending and participating in the various activities or even just by reaching out to a person in need, a modern-day stranger, fatherless, or widow. And number three, to rejoice. Let's use the second tithe God has provided in combination with the previous points to enjoy and to generously share the wonderful blessings he's given us over the last year. If we follow these three tips, we'll each be able to say we had our best feast ever. I hope you all have safe travels to and from the Feast of Tabernacles, and I look forward to hearing many of your stories upon our return.